Hey everybody, it's Deb here. Welcome to episode number 11 of Uncomfortable. Comfortable conversations around uncomfortable topics. My guest for this episode is Kirsten Barkfed, who is a writer and thinks that the best way to solve all of your problems is to melt some cheese on them. She is a girl after my own heart. When she's not dismantling the patriarchy, petting as many dogs as possible, or trying to finish her first novel, Kirsten is exploring the very complicated and very necessary work of breaking apart the stigma of mental illness in her writing. Kirsten is very open about the fact that she suffers from both anxiety and depression. In this episode, she walks me through her journey of coping with not one, but two mental health disorders. We talk pretty candidly about mental health in this episode, and Kirsten does describe the feelings and experiences that she often has. So if you're someone who suffers from a mental health issue, then do listen with caution and make sure that you're kind to yourself and take care of yourself during and after the episode. There is also some adult language, so when listening, it's best to pop on those headphones. I really hope that you enjoy our conversation. being here today. I'm really excited for this topic because I think it's something that affects myself and not just me but millions of other people. So thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me. You're more than welcome. <laughs> so I'm going to dive right into the first question. Can you describe the moment when you discovered that you suffered from both anxiety and depression? Was there a moment? Oh yeah, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I always kind of wondered if I had anxiety. Um, I would say my early 20s is when I started noticing different facets of anxiety. Um, But to me, to me, these were just normal things, normal feelings that I had gone through my entire life, you know, like physical, physical feelings in my stomach, heart palpitations weird irrational thoughts and thinking and I just thought that was a normal thing and Mm -hmm. the rest of my family seemed to experience these things so I thought Mm. okay this is normal yeah wasn't until I got into you know maybe my first serious long-term relationship where um, my partner my 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 past partner called out a few things and I I questioned for the first time oh this might not be normal Mm -hmm. you know like obsessing over something someone had said to me or a weird way that someone had looked at me after I told a joke or drinking just to get rid of the anxiety at a social function or hugging a wall close to the exit. Yeah, like hiding in the bathroom is a common thing. Multiple trips to the bathroom where people think you might have a bladder problem (laughs) in there. Mm -hmm. Um, How old were you at that point? Do you remember? I would have been, so I would have been my second year university. I would have been about 22. Okay. 22 years old. Yeah. Young. Fairly young. Um, and 
the moment, I guess, when I realized that I had both wouldn't come until I would be 25 going on 26, mm-hmm. maybe 27. Okay. Um, so 26, 27, I, I, I got into a really low point. I had graduated university um, with all of these hopes and dreams. Mm-hmm. I graduated university. I've got a Bachelor of Arts in creative writing. I'm going to be a best-selling author. Yep. <laughs> I'm going to be like J.K. Rowling and sell millions of books. Um, if I can't do that, I'm going to work as an author or a writer somewhere else. And then <laughs> and then nothing happened. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked two part-time jobs, really getting nowhere in retail. And I watched as I wasn't really making a lot of money. And I felt this... Um, very low self-esteem and this constant anxiety in my chest of you're not doing enough. You should mm-hmm. be doing more. Why aren't you doing more? Why haven't people realized you're this amazing writer? <laughs> you know. And there was just this. I think I think there's a lot of pressure on recent graduates to succeed and excel. Yes. You know, like you're also told from an early age you can be whatever you want to be. Um. So. The fact that nothing had happened, I don't know, maybe I guess I had my expectations set high. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm also a huge perfectionist, which is, um, uh, I don't want to say like a symptom, but if you have perfectionistic tendencies, um, you're more likely to experience anxiety or depression if things aren't mm. exactly the way you want it to be. Okay. Would you say that kind of borderlines or is similar to OCD? Possibly, yeah, yeah. I've got, I've got um, some obsessive tendencies for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of me also wonders, you know, like maybe the anxiety and depression came from, you know, that those obsession tendencies, mm-hmm. or the fact that I, 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 it takes me a long time to really get into a project. I don't think I have ADHD, but I definitely have attention mm-hmm. <laughs> issues. Um, so yeah, I do wonder that sometimes. Um, but yeah, when I was reaching that low moment, um, I went and saw, I went and saw someone. Um, I think it was a free resource at um, a counseling, I don't know, a counseling institution, BC Mental Health. Okay, something like that. Wow. And um, I just went in, and I remember crying mm-hmm. when I got to the intake desk, and I felt really low, and I just wanted to disappear and. Uh, the woman handed me a sheet and she asked me to fill out all the questions and they were just little tick boxes yeah. and they asked you things like on a scale of one to ten um, you know like how 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 badly do you want to kill yourself or mm-hmm. um, on a scale of one to ten um, how anxious I, I'm I'm obviously summarizing but it asked you like very black and white questions how to figure out how you're feeling did you find that helpful um, yes and no, mm. because at that moment, I also was um, filtering my answers. Yeah. I had come from this place of, I know I have some anxiety. I don't know yet if I have depression, but I'm sitting here and I'm having suicidal ideations mm-hmm. and I'm feeling dark and lost and tired and scared. And I wanted someone to answer the questions for me of yes you are mm-hmm. depressed yes you have anxiety but i also didn't want to scare people and be like yes you are a threat to yourself let's put you in a room somewhere and tuck you away yeah so i was filtering my answers quite a lot cuz i was terrified 
I remember seeing someone finally, and it was an intake nurse or an intake doctor, and they they sat me down and they uh, asked me to answer some more questions for them. Um, and at the end of it, I yeah, I remember them saying, "It sounds like yeah, you have depression and and some anxiety." And I remember just bawling my eyes out because finally someone physically in a position of authority could tell me, yes, like yeah. you have something that can answer all of these weird things going on in your mind and your body. But I also remember feeling really terrified because mm-hmm. I had gotten used to having anxiety. Um, I had not gotten used to the, the idea of what living with depression and anxiety would be like. So there was this immediate relief mm-hmm. combined with this immediate dread. I have both. I, I, I have both depression and anxiety that like, I'm really fucked up then. And I remember this thought came into my mind of who is going to want to be with me? Mm-hmm. Who is yeah. going to want to date a girl who has anxiety and depression? That's a lot of emotional baggage. And I remember at the time I had a partner and he was also experiencing, he also had depression. Okay. So he understood the depression aspect of mm-hmm. it. Couldn't understand the anxiety side and that was fine. But um, I remember going to him and, and, and crying and, and it was nice to have someone who knew exactly what it was like. So that was nice. It's like you almost had a a resource, someone who could kind of walk you through their coping mechanisms and hope that yes. it would it would help you definitely okay yeah so was there anything in particular that you felt would trigger your anxiety or the depression was there anything that you know would happen that they would come up did you notice or could it just be any time of the day um yeah for anxiety it's interesting because back when I was uh, when I was younger, when I was about 22, um, my anxiety revolved more around social situations. Mm-hmm. And I think it still does. It's not as prominent, though. But I remember I remember getting ready for parties or gatherings or presentations for school. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everybody gets anxious about, about... Everyone gets anxious and nervous about those kinds of things. But mine was... It was... Uh, it was awful. It was this tightness in my chest that made it physically difficult to breathe and if and then the tighter it gets the faster you're breathing okay. and the faster your heart goes and you're sitting there and you're wondering why do I feel this way and it feels like you're having a heart attack and it just mm-hmm. comes on for no reason maybe I've had a thought of like I don't want to do this and then that triggers it okay or nothing at all will happen and that will trigger it. I'll be at parties um, and sometimes it just comes up naturally. It's such a strange feeling. Um, Would you say that is a panic attack? Like that's the symptoms of a panic attack or would it be different? It's different. Well, yeah, it could be a panic attack. But for me, panic attacks are more, I guess, just if... I've let that feeling linger too long and I haven't done anything to address Mm -hmm. it. So I could be getting ready for um, a function and be experiencing this and I could put it aside Mm -hmm. or try to ignore it. 
um, sometimes now I can get over it. No problem. I've got a really wonderful partner. He is great at grounding me. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of really good techniques to help me out. But in the past, yeah, um, if I didn't address that feeling right away, it would turn into a panic attack. So hyperventilating. Yeah. My stomach is going crazy. The world feels, it just feels like it's going to end. I really feel like I'm going to die. It's Mm -hmm. this pressure on my chest, on my shoulders. And then after it's all done, I'm exhausted and I just want to crawl back into bed. So I would say the anxiety for me triggers the depression. Okay. Um, and they feed into one another in different ways. You know, like if I've just had a panic attack, I, I'm, I'm exhausted. And mm-hmm. then depression kind of comes in, I guess, I and makes you feel very low. And then you do the whole, like, you should be stronger than this and mm-hmm. you should get out of bed. Why can't you get out of bed? And that negative voice in your in your head is just sort of beating you up. And because you're in such a low state, you're believing it and you feel like, yeah, you're kind of worthless and, and useless. You see all these other people who are capable of getting up, going to work, going to school, doing the yeah. things. Why can't I type thinking? It's, it's so strange. And nowadays, I would say nothing really triggers my anxiety sometimes it just comes on naturally okay other times it comes on in such small silly ways my partner might say something and my brain operates in worst case scenario mode so maybe he says something like I don't know I like brunettes better I'm a brunette and (laughs) and I want to go get my hair done and get some blonde in it and my mind goes oh he doesn't like blondes if I get blonde in my hair he's not going to be attracted to me if he's not attracted to me then he's not going to want to be with me he's going to break up with me now he's acting differently because he's scared that I'm going to go blonde oh my god we're going for a walk now and he's so quiet why is he so quiet oh he's so Mm -hmm. quiet because he's going to take me somewhere and break up with me this is the end oh my god what am I going to do oh my life is a mess and I've just lost another great person like I go from one to ten zero to 10 in just like three seconds. It's incredible the power that my anxiety has over my brain. And just that negative kind of chatter Mm -hmm. that it can be so strong. Like I've actually, I'm sure, like I'll do something similar and I feel like the only way I can describe it it's like one of the Dementors from Harry Potter. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's it. It's like it sucks your soul almost. Yes. Yes. In any positivity. Yes. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad you said that. My mm-hmm. One of my friends and I are thinking of get, we're going to get um, Expecto Patronum yeah. on our forearms. <laughs> so that when we're feeling down and sad, mm-hmm. we can just look at our forearm and be like, ah, oh, yes. Okay. That's, it's fine. It'll be all, it'll be fine. Yeah. 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 That's a good analogy. Yeah. I know. <laughs> Love Harry Potter. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, tell me how you kind of, um, or what the differences between the anxiety and the depression can be, because I've seen this quote a lot where it's like, if you suffer from anxiety, you're, you know, obsessing over the the future. If you're suffering from depression, you're stuck in the past. If you start, and it's like, you know, it's only good if you're in the present moment, but it's kind of <laughs> bullshit because there are people who suffer from both. Yeah. 
and sometimes you're in that that pre- present moment and your dementor is like sucking your soul yeah so it's kind of like are, can you differentiate between the difference of the two or sometimes do you just not really know which which one you feel like you're suffering from I'm so glad you said that because it's uh, it's so it can be really hard to live with both anxiety and mm-hmm. depression because yeah you have anxiety which means you are not always but you can be wound up mm-hmm. you're obsessing about um things that are beyond your control so yeah. if you're obsessing you're you're constantly your brain is just on a wheel like a hamster yeah. like what about this and what if this and what about this and what if what if that happens it's it's never it's never being able to feel a moment of stillness when mm-hmm. when anxiety is at its worst. You're constantly picking at different what-if scenarios. Yeah. Whereas depression is the opposite. You feel sluggish, fatigued, tired. There's hopelessness. It's hard to get out of bed some mm-hmm. days. There's a so what. So if anxiety is going what if, depression is going so what. And the two make it incredibly difficult some days you have in your brain two forces that are complete opposites it's exhausting so uh, it's hard to say it's hard to say what differentiates what differentiates the two but i suppose kind of what you said where one is you know looking at the past and one is worrying about the future and mm-hmm. finding finding the present moment can be tricky in those when you're experiencing both at the same time mm-hmm. or maybe if you're not even aware that you're experiencing both at the same yeah. time uh, do, do you have any coping mechanisms for for those moments like anything that you do that you could share for you know that maybe other people could try to see if it would work for them uh i mean when i'm feeling when I'm feeling anxious, I have a lot of pent-up energy. Mm-hmm. I go to the gym or I mm. go for a walk with the dogs. Dogs are great. Mm-hmm. They pets. <laughs> yeah. I'm surprised we made it this long without me talking about dogs, to be honest. But <laughs> I have two dogs and I love them to bits. Mm-hmm. And they make a huge difference in, um, I would say, my depression. Because they are there. They constantly love you. They love yeah. you no matter what. If you're yeah. having a bad day... And you don't want to get up from the couch. That's fine with them, you know. Like, and they know, mm-hmm. like they can sense that, which is an yeah. amazing thing about it's so you know nice. animals. Yeah, they've got yeah. this very calm presence. And mm-hmm. my two dogs are great. I've got Ollie, who's so he's almost nine, and he's chill. He's so chill. He he's happy to sit there and lie with you. And then you've got Bruce, who's four in a chocolate lab, and he's goofy and smiley and you know he's got more energy than Ollie and he wants to go out and do stuff but you know after you've gone and done stuff he's happy to curl up and snuggle with you so they're great in that way so yeah if I'm feeling pent up I go to the gym or I'll walk the dogs like an Mm -hmm. hour-long walk and that helps um, because I'm I'm releasing that excessive energy and then the benefit of that is you get endorphins mm-hmm. I love this quote that quote from um, Elle Woods in Legally Blonde when she's on trial <laughs> when they're discussing the person who potentially might have murdered her husband yeah. and she's like well but she works out and happy people just don't kill their husbands because endorphins <laughs> make you happy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is you know it's true like after a workout I feel a mm-hmm. lot happier um 
So is there a particular workout you do or do you just go to the gym and do treadmill, bikes, weights? I'll do, um, I have a program in my phone. Um, I have an app that I uh, use fairly consistently. Um, So I'll go and I'll do maybe like 10 minutes on a stair climber or Mm -hmm. a treadmill or a bike. And then I um, uh, use the program. And usually that's like weightlifting and a bit of cardio and um, high intensity interval training workouts. So that's really helpful. And that helps with the anxiety and the depression. If I can't make it to the gym, um, I'll sit, I'll try to journal, um, try to meditate. Um, Honestly, like if none of that works, I crawl into bed and I watch mm-hmm. Gilmore Girls. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I get Bruce and Ollie on the bed with me. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, you know, and then if I'm feeling really down and low and I need to be really present, I'll just text a friend. And yeah. sometimes that makes a huge difference because yeah. they can pull you back into a moment. And it doesn't have to be anything. I don't need advice. Yeah. Um, I just need someone to to be, talk yeah. and listen be there yeah mm-hmm. you know and I, I offer the same thing to all my other friends like if you're feeling down and low and you just need someone to acknowledge that you're here and I'm here and you're needed just text me and and I will be there for you yeah now that brings me to a great point because I mean you're here obviously because the conversation around mental health can mm-hmm. be uncomfortable for a lot of people yes and you know it must have been hard I'm assuming in the beginning to kind of reach out and admit to your friends this is what's happening what was the reaction with your friends and how easy has it been to kind of have that conversation mm-hmm. with them that's a good question it was easy to come out and talk about it mm, not always but it was easy for some of my close friends because they had witnessed I guess uh, me retreating and withdrawing mm. and they wanted to know and because I'd grown up in a family that has and experiences different facets of mental illnesses mm-hmm. um, because we had talked about what it was like for them I knew that mental illness was something that existed mm-hmm. and that it wasn't a huge deal. To me, it was a huge deal, but I knew it wasn't that big of a deal because I'd seen it for other people. So talking about it with my friends wasn't too scary. I finally had something to sort of, I don't want to say justify, but mm-hmm. could validate my feelings. Um, and if I had someone who, if I had a friend who, I don't know, truly didn't maybe understand, um, then all of a sudden I had the tools to, I guess, work through with them mm-hmm. why I needed to leave the party early to go home and recharge yeah. or, you know, why I didn't pick up a phone call from them um, or why I was feeling low or not looking like myself. Yeah. Um, and some people get it, other people don't. And um, telling some friends... Telling some friends the first time, I remember a few of them being like, that's not right. You don't have depression. Mm-hmm. You're, you don't have anxiety. Like, you're, you're one of the happiest, friendliest people I know. And and you have no problem carrying on conversations. Like, I think you're lying. Like, yeah. don't feed into what the doctors are telling you. And I'm just like, then you don't, you, I mean, I don't want to say that you don't get it, um, but, but it's hard for someone to get it if they don't see what you are like behind that face. Yes. Because if you have been, if you have been for your, almost your entire life or for a long time putting on this mask to everybody else, no one's going to see what's behind the mask because no one 
wants to see what's behind that mask. Yeah. Everyone wants everyone to be happy and to yeah. have a good time. Um, everyone wants everybody else to not worry and be present and let's just enjoy life and just let it go and everything will be fine. And it is yeah. true. Like we all want the best for everyone. We want the best for our friends and our family. So if someone's experiencing, you know, depression or anxiety, we, we want them to feel happy and good. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, telling someone like, no, you don't have depression and you don't have anxiety and it's not, no, just, you know, like just be happy. Just let it go. Like yeah. it's, it doesn't work it's like not, that. Yeah, it's not that easy. Yeah. It's interesting because a few episodes ago, I had a conversation um, with Andrea, who's written a book because she kind of overcame depression and self-loathing. Mm-hmm. And she is the happiest person in the world. It was actually one of the happiest conversations I've ever had <laughs> around depression. And this is very similar. And you also seem like a very incredibly happy-go-lucky, welcoming, lovely person, right? (laughs) So, and it kind of made me realize that, you know, just because someone is even fairly Mm -hmm. high-functioning or incredibly happy or helpful or, you know, it doesn't mean that they're not suffering in their own home under their their own bed covers. You don't know that other side is happening. And I actually find sometimes the fact that I am very high functioning is a way to kind of take me away from the fact that I know there's something deeper. Yes. Yes. I relate to that so well. I think, I think I'm a high functioning, anxious person. Mm -hmm. I can shove those feelings aside to get the things done because I am such a, I am a perfectionist to a T and I do a lot of shoulding. I should be doing better. I should be doing this. Yeah. Ignore those feelings because you should be doing this instead. And sometimes that's great because it means I can get to work. I can go to a function. Mm-hmm. I can clean the house, um, walk the dogs, do whatever it needs to take to be human that day. Yeah. But other times, if I override those feelings that I know are real, um, I'm going to make myself more sicker. Um, and just because I can delay it in that moment might mean that down the line, maybe next day or a couple of days from now, I'll be completely pent up, completely yeah. anxious. And I might even slip into like a day of just feeling depressed and sad. And yeah. it's a constant battle to sort of, I guess, balance the two and also, also sit with those emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we talked about this before where we live in a society where everyone is yeah conditioning you to be happy mm-hmm. and to not be sad not be anxious yeah. don't be angry you know like be present be here be now yeah. um and those are all good things yes but mm, it's a human emotion to be depressed it's a human emotion to be anxious those are really normal human feelings and you're supposed to sit with them mm-hmm. you're supposed to listen and check in with your body and acknowledge I am anxious. This is the feeling I'm having in my chest. This is the feeling I'm having in my heart. Yes, it's so uncomfortable and just sit with it. And I know that feels like backwards to some people, Yeah. but if you ignore it, if you ignore it, you're going to make it worse and ignoring it doesn't make the problem go away. Yeah. You know, he doesn't. I mean, you just pin up all that. Exactly. And it comes to the point. There'll be a breaking point, whatever that shows up. Yes. Like I actually had an amazing friend um, who was going through a coaching program and, you know, needed kind of people to to work on so she could get so many hours. And 
um, I think we did this one by phone, but I was saying, and I would say to her, I feel like it's Harry Potter's dementors are coming in and kind of just sucking yeah. my soul. And we just like, she made me lie down on the couch and kind of just talked to me through feeling mm. this, this feeling. Yeah. And, and she's like, at the, and at the end, she's like, well, how do you feel now? And I was like, it's really interesting because I, it's not that bad. Yeah. Yeah. So I got to this like place of like high anxiety and this deep sadness to kind of digging down into it and thinking it's not that bad. Mm -hmm. And that was really interesting. And uh, it's taken me years, though, to realize that I need to see a professional, Mm -hmm. which I've now signed up to do. Oh, good for you. Yeah. So I've signed up for cognitive um, behavioral therapy. And I'm just starting. So I'm very kind of excited to see what that process is like. Um, What kind of therapy did you turn to, if any? So I have seen a therapist. um, I saw a therapist for my first diagnosis Mm -hmm. because I thought, okay, I have this diagnosis. Let's do something with it. Don't just sit there with it now. Like, do something. Um, And then I moved away from the city where the therapist was in. Moved down to Vancouver and... um, I got into this um, relationship with with my current partner um, mm-hmm. Scott, who's amazing. He's truly incredible. Um, and I remember sitting back and thinking, "Wow, this guy's so great. He's kind and he's supportive and sensitive, and he truly cares about me. And we actually have a healthy relationship." Mm-hmm. My, for context, my past relationships have not been all the best. Um, yeah. And so I I guess I kind of like. Um, conditioned myself to believe that the bad relationships that I was in, I deserved. Mm. I didn't deserve the good, kind things that my current partner, Scott, mm-hmm. was offering me because I had this self-loathing. I had no self-love. I I had all this anxiety and depression that I hadn't been addressing. So my past relationships truly represented that. Yeah. Um, when I moved to Vancouver, I... Uh, spent a year on my own, um, met Scott, dated, went through the honeymoon stage, yep. <laughs> and then slowly my anxieties <laughs> started to creep out. Yeah. And uh, I watched him watch me go through like a couple of panic attacks. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, beyond the biggest problem for me was here's this really incredible guy, and I can see a future with this man and I want so much to make this relationship work and I'm afraid if he sees me so crazy quote unquote crazy I'm going to lose him and then I had this incredible thought where I was like that's not very healthy if you want to work on yourself work on yourself for yourself yes work on yourself for yourself and the after effect of it will be you will be a loving person for yourself and a loving person for your partner. Mm-hmm. And that was huge for me. I sat there with it and kind of went, oh, wow, I don't get a lot of, you know, enemies yeah. in life, but this is a good one. <laughs> this is it. Right? Do you know, it's funny, I think, and like, there's been two episodes already where I've mentioned this book called Calling in the One. And I bought it years ago because I, you know, Vancouver's not the easiest place to date. <laughs> and I wanted to meet someone. And yeah. I'm like, I'm ready to meet someone. And the book, someone recommended it. I don't yeah. even remember who. And I went and I bought it and it sounded super cheesy. Even like, dear God, <laughs> Calling in the One. The book was about working on yourself. Yeah. 
So, and I I used to be a yoga teacher and the first um, exercise was a kundalini yoga exercise. So I was instantly like, oh, okay, this is cool. Like, because I, I kind of know this stuff. So I feel comfortable working through this yeah. book. Chapter eight, met my current boyfriend by Amazing. that point. So it is, it's all about kind of working on you and for yourself. Yeah, it's right? so true. Like, because mm-hmm. if you if you can't love yourself or at least accept yourself, mm-hmm. um, if you have no self-love, you're, you, how can you give love to other people when your well is dry, when your yeah. cup is empty? Because yeah. then it's just, it won't work. It's, and, and then it's just, it's, it's going to repeat the cycle of the yeah. relationships you've been in. Yes. So yeah, all this to say, this was what sparked me to go to, um, my second therapist who was truly helpful. I remember I got there and I just sat down and she looked at me and she goes, so what are you here for? Mm-hmm. And I started sobbing. Mm-hmm. I was like, I don't love myself and I mm-hmm. have depression and anxiety and I'm with this amazing man and I just wanted me to be better and I don't want to lose him and I just lost it. Yeah. And it was heartbreaking to hear myself talk about myself the way that I was. Mm-hmm. I was so mean to myself in our sessions with, with this um, really cool therapist. So through my work with her, I've, I've gleaned a lot of really interesting exercises, um, coincidentally about being still, being still, mm-hmm. being present, acknowledging the anxiety, acknowledging the depression, acknowledging and checking in on, and I guess poking holes in questions like, why do I think I don't deserve love? Mm-hmm. Why do I think I don't mm-hmm. deserve good things? Other people around me have good things. Are they more deserving than, yeah. than myself? Why do I think these things? It's like, where did they stem from? Where did they right? come from? Oh, right. big question. Huge. Yeah, we. <laughs> I, I stopped going just because benefits and Vancouver's so freaking expensive. Yeah. So, but yeah, we were planning on getting into like, where did these come from? Oh, let's look Mm -hmm. at your relationship with your mother and your father. And I was like, and you've talked about, you know, family members Mm -hmm. having mental health. So how do you, uh, mental health issues. So how do you think that that has affected you and you trying to kind of just move through life? It's, yeah, uh, it's impacted me positively and negatively, I'd say you know, knowing that I'm going through depression and anxiety, you know, and knowing that my family also has been through it, is going through it, lives through it, mm-hmm. has been helpful because I know I'm not alone. Mm-hmm. I know that whatever I have been through and I'm going through, others in my family have been through it as well. Mm-hmm. And my family's great. They, they are an incredible support system. Um, so they're very open about talking yeah. about it. That's amazing. Especially my youngest sisters. I'm one of six kids. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm smack in the middle. Um, and my younger sisters, um, you know, live with their own um, unique mental illnesses and have their mm-hmm. own unique ways of dealing with it. And we have a group chat and we check in when we're feeling down or sad or anxious. Yeah. And that's been, that's super helpful knowing that. So there's positive aspects to it, but there's also negative aspects, you know, like recently I've just realized how much my childhood in my teenage years was quite unstable mm-hmm. watching my parents go through some really traumatic things, watching just just some uncomfortable things. Maybe mm-hmm. that's another topic for yeah. another day. But yeah. uh, you know, watching watching my parents go through things together, how it impacted my sisters and I living through some really scary things has left 
an imprint, I would say, on my self-esteem, mm. my my mental health. And I'm only just realizing, literally just yesterday, like I just realized I have a lot of stuff I need to work through mm-hmm. from my relationships with my parents. And um, I have to address that. And it's something yeah. that I didn't really think I needed to do. It's something that I thought or assumed I am, you know, I'm going to be 31 this year. Of course, yeah. I've already acknowledged all this. I don't need to go and talk to a therapist yeah. about it. But I do. Oh, my God, I do. (laughs) I think, honestly, like, I'm realizing therapy is great for everybody. Yes. Even if you don't think you suffer from mental health issues, I think just to talk about stuff you're going through that maybe you're frustrated with, upset about, it's always good. You don't have to, even just having a friend, to talk to a friend, you don't have to pay for therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, One great resource, and I will just give them a shout out because I'm about to start there, um, is with Jericho Counseling actually offer half price sessions with their um like grad grad students. Oh, cool! So it's a lot more affordable for people who perhaps can't pay the whole one hundred and forty, one hundred and fifty, whatever it is. So that's amazing. There are great resources mm-hmm. out there if people are looking for a more kind of financially viable way to do that. That's um, I do love Vancouver for that reason. I think there's a lot of great. Yeah. resources here yeah um yeah no that's amazing so what do you have any uh, other advice for people who think that they may also be dealing with both anxiety and depression like if someone came to you what what advice would you give them oh gosh if someone were to come to me yeah and say i think i have both i would say great me too let's let's talk about it you know mm-hmm. like the biggest thing to remember i'd say like if you are either curious think you are or have just gotten a diagnosis for one or both just know that you're not alone Mm -hmm. so many people have anxiety or depression or both so many people all my friends have either one or both yeah um i've got family members and friends who have three or four mental illnesses and it's just knowing that you have a diagnosis or just knowing that there are tools and resources out there available for you Um, is huge because then it helps you feel less alone. And the other thing I would say is if you have a diagnosis of one, both, three, or four, Mm -hmm. just know that those, whatever diagnosis you have, it doesn't define you. It doesn't mean that if you are depressed or anxious, you're not crazy. You're not unnormal. You're not Mm -hmm. weird and you're not unlovable and you're not unwanted. These are things that everyone who is human experiences. Mm -hmm. It's a normal human emotion, but we live in a society that deprives us of experiencing or sharing those Mm -hmm. human emotions because you're taught from such an early age, don't cry, be happy. Mm -hmm. Don't be mad, be happy. So we suppress those emotions, but they're really normal. They're human. They're what connect us to one another, you know? Like, so if if you have them, they don't define you. It just means that you're a human. Yeah, <laughs> it just means it's okay. It's okay. It's definitely okay. How do you think we can make it more of a comfortable conversation for people to have? Um, 
I I'm someone who talks about it a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. I mean, like, I don't go out of my way and and be like, I'm Kirsten and I have yeah. anxiety. Yeah. Um, if I'm talking, if like, say, I'm out for dinner with friends and someone brings up the topic of mental illness, maybe they have a friend who's like really retreated because mm-hmm. they have bipolar and they don't get why. Mm-hmm. I'll jump in and I'll just be like, Well, I have anxiety and I have depression and and I don't have bipolar, but I know people who do, and and maybe this is why they're experiencing this and. Um, you know, like just keep being there for your friend, like, um, trying to make it seem more accessible, you know, like it's so important to have these conversations because it normalizes it. It normalizes mental health and mental illness. Um, you know, and that's important because if we don't talk about it, people are going to feel like they are crazy and Mm -hmm. like they are alone. There is something wrong. Right. And there's not. Exactly. That's nothing's wrong with you mm-hmm. you live with a disease and that's fine and you can work through it in the same way that you could work through any other disease or any mm-hmm. other illness but the second we stop talking about it the minute we don't acknowledge those feelings the minute that someone retreats then you risk losing that person forever what if they're having suicidal thoughts what if they have plans i've come very close to losing quite a few people in my life because of suicide mm-hmm. because we just live in a society where no one wants to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And if we don't talk about it, then we're going to continue risking losing loved ones. More people. And yeah. that's devastating. Yeah, we yeah. definitely don't want that. Now, you're a writer. Mm-hmm. Are you planning to kind of write more on this subject? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I okay. have, oh, I've written like three or four drafts of the novel I want to write, mm-hmm. which is fiction, um, but comes from, I guess, is inspired by events uh that transpired in my mm-hmm. life growing up um and the a lot of what i cover in that book covers depression anxiety yeah you know um alcoholism Is, has it been kind of a therapeutic process for you do you think it's it's kind of helped you be able to cope i think so mm-hmm. you know there's there's two um there's two schools of thinking when it comes to writing. Some people are huge advocates for writing for cathartic reasons. And some people really try to stay away from it or like advocate don't, don't just don't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I am of the former. I like to write to heal. Mm-hmm. Um, I obviously won't put anything in, in, in any writing that makes me uncomfortable yeah, or makes my family or friends uncomfortable. Yeah. But I think writing about it is truly important. And whether that's a novel or blog writing, Mm -hmm. social media, whatever it may be. Um, It's important because then you're getting the message out there to other people um, what it's like to live with mental illness and what your personal experiences are. Because there are books out there that are helpful, but they might come from maybe psychology perspective Mm -hmm. or science perspective, and it can help tell you the neurology behind it or or the chemical imbalances behind it. But hearing other people's stories, reading other people's personal experiences about what it physically is like, what it mentally is like, how they cope, how they haven't coped, truly helps me feel connected to a community of other people who are fighting against the silent, you know, raging war in their mind. It's like saying you're not alone. Yes. Yes. Which is so important. Definitely. Yeah. Kirsten, thank you so much. It has been wonderful talking to you. I hope that you write your book. Thank you. <laughs> and when you do, that you come back on to the, the podcast to talk about it. Definitely. I look forward to that. Um, we'll share your social media links with anyone who maybe wants to reach out to you. Mm-hmm. 
um yeah thank you i hope to have you on again thanks thanks it's been great being here i hope to be here as well awesome hey everyone thanks so much for tuning in and listening to this episode I hope that our conversation helped you understand the experience that people suffering from mental health issues can face on a day-to-day basis. Or if you suffer yourself, then hopefully this episode encouraged you to reach out for help or at least know that you're not alone. Feel free to connect with Kirsten over on her Twitter at Kirsten Barkved and at her Instagram at Kirsten, K-E-E-R-S-T-U-N. And of course, I'll post those links in the show notes. If you enjoyed our conversation, then please do let us know over in the comment section on our website, uncomfortable.blog. Or you can head over to any of our social media channels. We're on Facebook and Instagram at uncomfortable.blog and Twitter at uncomfy underscore podcast. You could support our little podcast by signing up to be a patron and pledging a small $5 per month so that we can keep on doing this work. Visit uncomfortable.blog forward slash donate for more information. Thanks again for listening, folks. And remember, go out there and get uncomfortable.